Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets and plants that are important to you. This past week I read Cliff Nesteroff's latest book, Outrageous, A History of Showbiz and the Culture Wars. This is Cliff's third book, his other two being We Had a Little Real Estate Problem, which was published in 2021, and that book detailed the history of Native Americans and stand-up comedy, and Cliff's first book, which was published in 2015, and that was titled The Comedians, Drunks, Thieves, Scoundrels, and the History of American Comedy. If you haven't read Outrageous, but you've enjoyed either of Cliff's other two books, you're going to like Outrageous. It basically works as a chronological retelling of censorship in American entertainment beginning in the 1800s and going all the way up through the 1990s. The other book I read last week was Three Rocks, the story of Ernie Bushmiller, the man who created Nancy by Bill Griffith. Now, if, if you know newspaper comic strips, you know Nancy, and you know Sluggo, and you may know the author of this biography, Bill Griffith, because he's the guy who does the daily comic strip Zippy. And Bill Griffith's biography of Ernie Bushmiller is a graphic biography, meaning it uses Nancy comic strips and Bill Griffith's own drawing to tell the life story of Nancy creator Ernie Bushmiller. Now, it, it probably goes without saying that if you're a fan of Nancy, you're going to love Three Rocks. And while we're on the topic of book recommendations, this is probably as good a time as any to let you know that while there are no ads on this podcast and there is no Patreon set up for it, I am a self-published author with 11 novels currently available for purchase in both ebook and paperback formats via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find and buy all of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. Just search my last name, which is spelled M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. the enemy listeners. Thank you for checking out the show. You are now rocking with the best. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. It's good to have you with me. Do you feel like going into the future? You want to get on my space motorcycle? I don't know. I've been listening to the, this all week. This is the instrumental version of the song Breathe by rapper Yeet. And if you're looking for this one, you can find it on YouTube under OMG It's Kid B-U-U. It's so funny, you know, I look for instrumental versions of songs on occasion. And uh, older tracks, you you know, you think that there'd be like a million karaoke versions of them on there. You know, but uh, if you're looking for new hip-hop, you'll find like 25 instrumental versions of like a brand new hip-hop song i guess because people use these beats to rap over obviously and uh obviously producers are trying to get their names out there by creating the best 
instrumental version, one with ad-libs and background vocals, as that one had. And, uh, yeah, this Yeet guy, he's alright. I checked out this album, 2093. I love a concept album. This is like a dystopian future concept rap album. But, you know, these guys, you know, these younger guys, when I say younger guys, I mean guys that maybe have been around for three, four years now. And I don't know how long Yeet's been around. For all I know, he's been around longer than that. But, uh, yeah, they've all got a similar image. It's very dark. <laughs> you know, and uh, and they rap about money and um, how badass they are. <laughs> and that's about it. There's not a whole lot of substance, you know. It's just about how great they are, how much money they have, uh, their, their ability to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to attract women, <laughs> the, the male ones, the, the hetero male ones, that is, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of like carbon copies, these rappers, it's, it's unfortunate, but then you think to yourself, well, they're young, give them some time, maybe, uh, maybe they'll evolve, I think they'll have to, you run out of material, I imagine, after a while, right? Not, it doesn't take long, I imagine, in the world of hip-hop, to run out of material, but uh, that's all over the radio these days. Speaking of radio, speaking of terrestrial radio, this is a fun story. I was at the dentist this week, and uh, just for a cleaning. And I sat down in the chair, and um, the woman put you know the thing around my neck to keep any spittle off my chest and my wonderful shirt. <laughs> wow, my clothes are so old. Oh my god. But uh, she she had the radio on, and she said, this is Alexa, meaning that wasn't her name. No, that was the name of the device that she was streaming the audio through. And she said, uh, she said I can play whatever you want. Is there anything you want? And I thought, yeah, People Are the Enemy podcast on there? <laughs> and it is on there, but I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't <laughs> Look, I got an ego, but I'm not that crazy. I didn't do that. I didn't do that as much as it is my favorite thing to listen to. But in all honesty, this is what I said to her. I said... You know, uh, I said, I like hearing what other people are listening to, so I'm I'm kind of always curious. So whatever you have on is fine. And that's the truth. I, I, I'm always curious to see what people like. And this woman was streaming a terrestrial radio station out of Boston called KISS 108 FM. And if you're from Boston, you've lived in Boston, you know, the last 40 years, I think. As long as I, you know, as long as I've been in New England, I know KISS 108 FM. I get it here. I'm just over the border in New Hampshire, but we can pick up KISS 108 FM. And it was a morning show, and it was exactly, you know, the kind of music you think you'll hear on Kiss 108. It was like Katy Perry and Nicki Minaj and, you know, whoever else the uh, the latest and greatest are, you know, Ed Sheeran and whatnot. You know, pop music, you know. And uh, and during one of the uh, the breaks, meaning the breaks from the music, <laughs> these, these morning DJs were talking about Justin Timberlake. And uh, I guess this Playboy Playmate had come out and she'd had an affair with with Justin Timberlake while he was dating Cameron Diaz. And they started getting very explicit in terms of, uh, in terms of, well, as explicit as you can get on terrestrial radio within FCC guidelines in terms of, in terms of what Justin Timberlake and this Playboy Playmate got up to in the bedroom. And <laughs> the woman who's cleaning my teeth got very embarrassed I want to say, lady, have you ever read any of my books? <laughs> I am not embarrassed by this, but I understand. I didn't say that. Um, and she said, uh, she turned away from me and she said, oh, this is dirty talk. She actually used the words dirty talk. Yes. And she said, um, and she said, Alexa, play 70s mellow gold. 
I was like, can you play Beck Mellow Gold? <laughs> you know, I prefer that. I didn't say that. But uh, but Alexa immediately changed. But I just but she was so she was so concerned that she would. I don't know. I guess she was afraid that she'd make it awkward. But what you know, like I said, I don't I don't care. You know. Um, and uh, in the seventies, Mellow Gold streaming station on Alexa started playing, and she said, "This doesn't sound like it's from the seventies. It sounds like it's from the fifties. And I said, "No, this is the Bee Gees. This is the seventies. <laughs> and of course, it was playing things like. The Bee Gees and Elton John, etc., etc., and then she did something weird. You know, after uh, after the teeth cleaning, she said, "I need to take some pictures." And I said, "Okay." And she said, "It's not X-rays." And I said, "Okay." And she said, "I'll be right back with the camera." And she went out of the room and came back with this camera that looked like a robot's head. <laughs> you know, it just had like you know one lens in the middle, but it was like. It looked like it looked like almost like if you if you held like a um, an army canteen that you drink water out of you know upright it looked like that so I knew it was like it wasn't just like a it wasn't a cell phone okay so I knew it was legit but she starts having me do these faces like make these faces and she's taking pictures and then she hands me these two metal bars with like like looped ends on them like hooks at the end of them that were you know rounded so it wouldn't hurt my mouth and she says what I want you to do is put these it's <laughs> like what are you doing here. I'm sitting up in the seat. She says, I want you to hold your mouth apart like this. And she, uh, she holds her mouth apart, or the, you know, pulling on, you know, putting your, put your fingers on either side of your, on either side of your mouth and pull it like you're making a face. Can you picture that? Okay. And, and so, so I have to like, so I had to like sit up and put these like hooks, metal hooks on either side of my mouth and pull my mouth apart like this. <laughs> and she's taking pictures of me. And I was like, hell is going on i've never i've never had to do that i've had to do the um the x-rays but then she's having me like like open your mouth and look back you know it's just like it's like what what, is, what are we doing here make a no then she says smile now stop smiling it's like it was like a photo shoot over there weird right damn is paul giamatti becoming billy joel or is billy joel becoming paul giamatti <laughs> have you seen him lately I think I think I think Paul Giamatti is becoming Billy Joel. I think that's what's happening. <laughs> I love Paul Giamatti. Anytime I see him on TV, I'll watch it. Meaning interviews, you know. I love watching him interviewed. But I did see the holdovers. Speaking of, of films, that uh, Paul Giamatti 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 stars in. He's quite good in that. That's a good one. I like that. You say caramel or do you say caramel? I tried to order a, a caramel coffee for my wife the other day at a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. And the woman didn't understand what I was saying. She kept going, uh, what did she say, churro? I was like, how the hell are you getting churro from caramel? Churro? You want churro? No, I said caramel? Caramel? Churro? And then I realized, I was like, oh, you know what? What if I try caramel? And I said, could I have caramel swirl? And she said, oh, caramel. And I said, yeah. And then I got up to the window and I said to the woman at the window, I was saying caramel. I think, uh, I, I think, uh, y y some people say caramel, some say caramel. And Lee said, oh, that wasn't me. <laughs> Are you excited about these four Beatles movies from Sam Mendes? Have you heard about this? Sam Mendes evidently is doing four Beatles biopics, one on each member of the Beatles. But I, I still can't figure out how that's going to work. You know, there's very little details about this that I could find other than, you know, there'll be one 
from the perspective of each beetle, but like, will they all be released at the same time? Will it be like a shoot? What was that movie where they had like a bunch of different versions released at the same time? Clue. Do you remember that? <laughs> you might be too young to remember that, but yeah, in Clue, they had a bunch of different versions with different endings all released in the theaters at the same time. So will all four be released in the same time? And if not, like, how do they decide, like, which Beatle is going to be the first Beatle to uh, to be uh, uh, the film that they're going to show first? Which one? I guess, you know, do you start with the least popular or the most popular? I don't know. Should be interesting. I can't wait to see what the casting will be like. I uh, I told my wife I could be a breakfast shift cook at a diner. And she doesn't think I can, but I, I'm pretty sure I can. I, I know I can do it, guys. <laughs> what do you got to do? I, like I, I said, I said, what do I have to do? I said, I know how to make eggs. Well, you say you want a scrambled egg? I just break an egg in there and I scramble it. She's like, no, Andy, you don't. They have the eggs already mixed. It's in a carton. I said, well, that's even easier. I'll just pour it into a carton. And then she said, okay, well, what if I order French toast? Do you know how to make French toast? And I said, yeah, you take some milk. You put, what, 50% 50, 50 milk, 50% uh, uh, scrambled eggs. And then what? What else, Andy? And I was like, I don't know, cinnamon. And what else? I'm saying, I don't know, nutmeg. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I couldn't do it. I'm sure it's stressful. But I feel like I feel like I could I could learn that. I feel like I could be a good breakfast breakfast cook at a diner. I think I could handle it. You remember, like, speaking of food, you remember, like, as a kid... As a kid, all I remember is, like, anytime I'd eat a sandwich, if I was, like, with a family at a, at a, at a beach, and I lived near the beach. I grew up in, in Danvers, Massachusetts. That's right on the beach. And uh, anytime, like, I'd eat a sandwich, my aunts would say, you need to digest. <laughs> you never hear anybody say, like, digest anymore, you know? And I think my family was the only one to do it, because they say, you get a cramp if you try to go swimming too soon after you eat. I'd be like, all right, how long do I have to sit on the beach for? Because my cousins are having a blast in there, and I'm just sitting here on my tuchus. <laughs> 20 minutes, at least 20 minutes. Who decided this? Digest. I go to the beach with other people, and their kids would just, like, eat a sandwich. They, they eat the sandwich in the water. They go, <laughs> they say, I'm just going to go eat it while I swim. Me, I had to digest. Nobody ever says digest. I don't think I've ever told my daughter to digest, you know? I don't think my wife has either. Digest. You need to digest. Unreal. You ever see this therapy gecko on YouTube? I guess it's like a, it's a podcast also. It's this guy, you, if, you, if you've ever scrolled YouTube or looked at podcasts on YouTube, you know, the audio, the, obviously the video versions, you'll see this guy, he was wearing like a gecko suit and his face is painted green and he interviews his guests. They're celebrities. And they're all wearing the gecko suit, too. They're always dressed in the gecko suit, and their faces are painted green. And this gecko suit covers their hands and their feet, like it's an entire bodysuit. And I'm thinking to myself, like, everybody's wearing that suit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, I hope they're cleaning it real well, because, you know, it, it's been worn by, like, every celebrity that's been on the show. There's no way that guy has, like, seven gecko suits, you know, that he just, like, rolls or gets a new gecko suit each time. You know what I mean? Gotta clean that gecko suit, y'all. All right. Uh, should we get into other things? Should we get into uh, clips? Because I got a couple funny ones for you. I felt bad. I was listening back to the show, of course, because uh, it's my favorite. People are the enemy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, these Mitski clips are a bummer. Oh, why did I? Why did I play those? 
I should get something funny this week. And I did. I found a couple of funny ones for you. So I'm excited to uh, share these with you. But before I can share the clips with you, I need to share the theme song. So theme song, please. Okay, the first clip is of a guy named Kevin James Thornton. I'm pretty sure. Let me make sure. Let me make sure that's his name. Uh, because, yes, Kevin James Thornton, and he's a stand-up comedian, and uh, he's on TikTok. He's very popular. And if you've ever heard, if I say, it was the 90s, then you'll know exactly who I'm talking about, if you recognize that. Because what he does is uses some kind of harmonizer and uh through his microphone through his earbud mic and he tells stories about the 1990s and he's a man of a certain age uh most likely gen x i'm guessing but uh but he always tells stories about the 90s this wasn't a story about the 90s that he told but i really liked it and i wanted to share it with you it was about it was about kevin james thornton's one of his earliest jobs in quote-unquote show business where he was like a a um like a craft services guy on a video shoot for a very famous singer. And he'll tell us who the singer is, but I'm going to let him do it. And uh, I, I was dying laughing at this clip, and I said, i gotta, I got to play this on the show. i got to play it for the peeps. So here is Kevin James Thornton, and you can look up him on TikTok if you're interested, in case I forget to remind you after. And he's talking about working on a music video and uh, holding a plate of tuna sandwiches. Here it is. When I first moved to Nashville, I got a job doing craft services for music video shoots. Craft services is basically the snack guy, and I did not know what I was doing. It was my first video. It was August and really hot, and we're standing in this field all day with grass up to our waists, and I'm just standing there dying of sweat, holding, like, a nasty plate of tuna sandwiches. <laughs> and, uh... I kept standing in the wrong place and they'd have to stop and be like, can you tell a craft service guy to move somewhere else? Cause I'm like in the back of the shot holding a nasty plate of tuna sandwiches. And it was the artist's very first music video. And she starts looking at me like craft service guy is going to ruin my first music video. And side note, that artist is named Taylor Swift. <laughs> True story. And then I got home to take a shower and realized there were ticks in my underwear. <laughs> There were like five or six ticks just down there chowing down. <laughs> you know what I like about him? I like that he laughs at his own stuff. I can relate. <laughs> Kevin James Thornton again, if you're interested. I love that clip. Taylor Swift. Kevin holding a plate of tuna sandwiches in a field with tall grass. Oh yeah, there's going to be ticks. <laughs> so It's so gross, but it's also hilarious. Okay, this other clip, I wasn't sure whether to play the whole thing. I guess I will. This is a little, it's sort of a montage, however. And this is a guy, if you watch prank comedy at all, you may know Ed Bassmaster. He is a uh, a prankster from Philadelphia. He does a lot of different characters. He's probably best known for his Chip Diamond character. He wears sunglasses, like Oakley sunglasses and a mullet. And he has a... Um, a striped shirt, multicolored striped sweater, rather. And he holds his arms way out to the side, like he's got huge muscles, but he doesn't. 
and, you know, frosted jeans or uh, what is it? Stonewashed denim jeans. Just looks like a throwback. And he goes, Psh! you know, he does that. So he's too cool for school. He's got a bunch of characters. And this was one of his characters called Always Testy. And Always Testy is, he always wears like a, a Philadelphia Eagles jersey, wears his hat on sideways, uses a lot of hip hop lingo. And this is a, a short little montage of Always Testy calling video game stores about the video game Call of Duty Black Ops. And Always Testy wants to know why there aren't any black police officers in it. Do you get it? Okay, if you don't, you'll get it in a moment. So here is uh, Ed Bassmaster, in character, as Always Testy, calling video game shops, asking about the game Call of Duty Black Ops and why there aren't any black police officers in it. Here it is. Yo, what's peeping, dog? Hey, everyone. No, man, listen, I came in and bought the game uh, Black Ops, but I think I got the wrong version. Wait, did you open it? Yeah, I'm looking at it. It's, it's a war game. Right. It's Call of Duty. Well, I got Black Cops. Hey, I don't it's see no... Call of Duty Black Ops. Yeah, but I don't see no black cops. All I see is guys in, you know, war. Man, man, I know you call black cops. What about the cops? You could be a cop too? Ain't no cops in the war. Why are they call black cops? It's all soldiers. No, but why is the game called black cops then? It's called black ops, black cops. Black ops? What that? Ops, sure, for operations. Black operations. Oh, you ain't got no game called black cops? Ain't no such thing, no. There ain't no such thing as black ops. This this day in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> black ops. What that mean? Operation. Operation. Oh, it's like the game where they get the, the bones and stuff out the out the guy. Speaking of, I help you. What's happening? Yes. Listen, I came in and bought black ops the other day. Okay. And I got the wrong version. Okay. Did you open it? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Did you open it? Yeah, I'm looking at the game. Well, why did you open it if you got the wrong version? I ain't know till I put it in and seen it was a war game. How come all the dudes is white? How come all the dudes are white? White. Ain't no, white. Ain't no black dudes in it. What are you talking about? The game I bought. Black cops. Yeah. There ain't no black dudes in it. It's all white. Okay. Like I said, it's, it's, they're called the black ops. Let me get a refund. Uh, they're, they're not supposed to be known. Well, let me get a refund. You got any games in there about, like, black cops or black, like, security guards, maybe? Nah. Nah, the only thing we got is the black college football experience. You got a movie? Uh, you got a game about black Santa Claus? Nah. Um, how about the, they had a game with a black taxi cab driver. You got that? No, we did not. How about the black pope? Black pope? Yeah. That might be available online. Yo, it's peeping, dog. I hope you like that. I got a kick out of that. I laughed pretty hard the first time I heard it. I tried not to laugh over it this time. I am going to hand things over now to our friend Rachel from Des Moines, and she is going to give you the chart chat. So without any further ado, take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thanks to everyone who listened to the ABBA extravaganza last week. I got some nice comments from Bob, Jill, Jeffrey, Evan, and Sherry, who sent me some dynamite gifts. Thanks to Tavy and Mary for your words in support of the segment and me in general. 
I really appreciate all of you. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. There is one outstanding ABBA mystery I need all hands on deck for, and that is why did Gold have a one-week appearance on the Billboard 200 Albums chart at a new peak of number 36 in early January of 2013. My friend Hoover had a smart idea that it might have been a ripple effect from the Glee episode of ABBA, but I looked it up and it turns out there never was a Glee episode of ABBA. What were they even doing over there? So something must have happened around the holidays of, of 2012? I don't know. Still a mystery. In researching the ABBA segment, I got out an old favorite book of mine on 70s music, I Want to Be Sedated, Pop Music in the 1970s by Phil Delio and Scott Woods from 1993, which I had checked out from the library early in my 70s fandom, and I eventually bought a used copy for myself. For this week, I thought it might be fun to read a chapter of it to you, so I picked out the Kiss chapter, and this is chapter 11. Blue Oyster Cult is a perfect example. I love that band. But there's no hero worship, no charisma. I don't want to buy a Blue Oyster Cult lunch pail. Gene Simmons, 1979. Duke Ellington might have seen it all coming as early as 1938, the year he composed Prelude to a Kiss. That the first few thousand years of man's groping existence on Earth, the sum total of his follies and mishaps and embarrassment, was merely a dress rehearsal for that epical moment in the early 70s, when man's infinite capacity for making a fool of himself would erupt in the most preposterous display of runaway lunacy that human history had ever witnessed. The culprit was Kiss, a flame-shooting, tongue-lolling, patter-spouting, blood-drooling, powder-poofing pop metal band that embodied the hapless but spirited chaos of rock music in the 1970s as well as anyone. Check your credulity at the door for a second and we'll try to explain the confluence of style and moment that made them so unique. If you've ever glanced at a KISS lyric sheet, it will make perfect sense that the first stop in their story is a New York grade school, PS 75 to be precise, where Gene Simmons began the 70s teaching elementary chemical combustion and personal hygiene 101 to impressionable young thumbsuckers. In his free time, Gene managed to sneak away from the rarefied halls of academe to jam ravenously with musical acquaintances, a hobby that eventually led him into the nefarious clutches of Paul Stanley. The two instinctively realized they were meant for each other, so they sent out an APB for a couple more like-minded bodies to bring the head count to four, the perfect configuration for a rock band, according to Gene's calculations. Recruitment ads placed in Rolling Stone and the Village Voice, after less successful attempts in the Partisan Review, the London Journal of Economics, and Better Homes and Gardens, were answered by fellow New Yorkers Peter Chris and Ace Fraley, and a blubbering, slobbering, hairy behemoth began to heave itself into action. Picking a name for themselves, the guys took a private poll on their favorite sexual proclivities. Kiss finished in a tie for 14th with something called Mixed Wally Flips, but everyone agreed it had a nice ring to it anyway. To clinch the deal, the way Kiss rhymed with Chris had the power to fascinate Paul for hours. The year was 1973. Glam was queen, and our eager beaver puckerheads knew they'd be wise to grab themselves some of this glam action before someone sounded the wake-up alarm and everyone asked for a refund. So they swiped whatever spare parts they could from the Dolls, Bowie, Slade, and anyone else who was sashaying across a rock and roll runway at the time, mixed in some Arthur Brown theatrics, fire, blood, other stray bodily fluids, and plenty of infectiously simian bubble metal guitar riffs, and then swooped in for the P.T. Barnum kill. Each member adopted a persona developed through individualized makeup, 
symbolic iconography and enigmatic press bios that knew neither modesty nor sanity. Paul declared himself starry-eyed love god of the entire universe, even more virile and insatiable than Don Knotts. Gene mutated into a hulking S&M Cenobite, complete with an acrobatic tongue and a partly triangulated, partly bobbed haircut that defied description. Ace revealed he was from another planet altogether, although none of our eight neighbors was in any hurry to claim responsibility. And Peter dressed up like a roly-poly tomcat, and no, nobody understood why. They briefly considered adding a construction worker and an Indian chief to the roster, but we'll pick up that particular ball and run with it later in the book. Over the next two years, Kiss released three albums in quick succession. Kiss, I like it, nodded Ace approvingly. It's a title that makes you think of us. And Hotter Than Hell, both from 1974, and Dressed to Kill in 1975. All sold well, and each one had a few signature Kiss tunes. In many, like Deuce, Strutter, Hotter Than Hell, and Room Service, the band laid out their rigorously constructed views on sexual roles and mores in the post-liberated age. In Cold Gin, Rock Bottom, and Black Diamond, they cast a keen sociologist's eye over the seamier side of prolonged urban blight. And in Let Me Go Rock and Roll and Rock and Roll All Night, they blew party horns, danced the jitterbug, and wore lampshades. Kiss toured frantically during their early years, so much so that they boldly plunged ahead with a double live LP. It was a move that paid off spectacularly. Alive, 1975, remains an essential 70s record. At once, a non-stop glitter rave-up, a complex doorway to an entire industry metamorphosing into a joke, and an unparalleled goldmine for scholars of motormouth stage patter. The LP made Kiss bona fide American heroes just in time for the bicentennial. Yes, you could almost hear the Founding Fathers sigh from above, the country is in good hands. 1976 proved to be Kiss's biggest year by far, a best-selling poster that captured the band in a revolutionary pose, as if Ace's spacesuit costume wasn't enough of a rallying inspiration to millions. A top ten single, Beth, a rare glimpse into the vulnerability that Peter kept hidden away behind his whiskers. Stadium sellouts everywhere, and the release of their fourth and best studio LP, Destroyer. Alongside a couple more all-time Kiss Hoot nannies in Shout It Out Loud and Detroit Rock City, Destroyer took a conceptual journey deep into the psyche of each member, laying bare the hopes, dreams, and doubts that followed the guys home after the amps were turned off and the smoke cleared. No private anguish was left undocumented. You like my seven inch mused Paul wistfully. It was just like the Shirelles. Although Kiss never again matched their alive destroyer peak on the goosebump meter, their popularity didn't wane a bit for the rest of the decade. Rock and Roll Over, 1976, more or less did. Smelled just like a mangy old dog, said many. But 1977's Love Good was an energetic return to form, highlighted by Christine 16, another You take the kids to the movie, honey, and I'll stay home with the babysitter love ballad of the kind Kiss specialized in. They finished the year with Paul reading somewhere that once a human brain cell is dead, it's never again replaced. Hey, get a load of this, he called over to the others, and a couple of weeks later, Alive 2 was released to thundering approval from fans. Meanwhile, the band had begun to branch out. First, there was the formation of the Kiss Army. For $5, kids could enlist in a clandestine organization that flew secret reconnaissance missions into communist bloc countries and captured fertile young maidens by the hundreds. Second came a Kiss comic book produced by Marvel Comics, which sold nearly half a million copies during the summer of 1977. 
Things got really weird in 1978. NBC aired a made-for-TV movie, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, in the great tradition of Brian's song and Roots, went NBC's promo. And then all four members followed with simultaneous solo albums. A trio LP, the golden hits of Peter, Paul, and Ace, was recorded but never released. By 1979, Kiss was functioning as a group again, and they said goodbye to the decade in the best of all possible ways with a huge disco hit, I Was Made for Loving You. The most improbable of all their classic singles, Lovin' You, was ingenious testament to the band's commercial savvy, stylistic flexibility, and complete and utter lack of conviction about anything in their entire lives. They were truly something to behold. You still can, behold them that is, but it's not the same. Peter's long gone, Ace's long gone, the Kiss Army's long gone, the Makeup's long gone, and the Magic's long gone. Don Knotts and PS75 are still standing, but for how much longer is anybody's guess? The kiss that slogs away in 1993, Gene, Paul, and whoever else they're paying these days to help keep the stage level, is just one among many pointless heavy metal bands. They used to be the most pointless, however, and they used to make a celebration of their pointlessness. That made all the difference in the 70s. That's about all from me this week. If you want to hear more chapters, I can post the table of contents. Or if you want ABBA Part 2, let me know. I want to thank listener Melinda for a perfect topic suggestion that I plan to cover in a future week. Back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. Awesome stuff. i got to check out this book, I Want to Be Sedated. Uh, I'm looking at it on Amazon right now, and they have it cheap. Six bucks. Some good music journalism there. This has been episode 321 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace. <laughs>